I don't know about you, we all have our favorites, but I feel most alive in the summer. I mean, summer is the only time in the year when I'm so hot and sweaty, I can actually bend and touch my knees again. So many of my favorite things have happened in the summer. It reminds me of life the way it's supposed to be, the, the way Jesus described life. He promised that the people who followed him wouldn't have an easy life, that their lives would actually get much more complicated, that they'd even experience great pain. But he said, I promise you life in all of its abundance. This is what the abundant life should look like. It should look like Christmas morning or a, or a Rockwell painting of Thanksgiving and all that abundance. It, it should show all those kids at the bottom of the stairs excited to trick-or-treat. It, it's like a wedding with all the unbridled beauty and passion and promise. But I'm coming to believe that the abundant life isn't so much about the events as it is about the people. When Jesus said you'll have abundance of life, he meant in good times and bad times. So the abundant life for us should be about what we're becoming. When I think of that abundance of life, I think of the brains of Einstein, the compassion of Mother Teresa, the athleticism of those folks in Cirque du Soleil, and the unbridled happiness of a child's laugh. That's the abundant life. It's not an endless series of Instagram wow experience photos, but living life the way God intended that people made in the image of God should live. We don't talk about that enough in the week. You are made in the very image of God. So when people look at you, they see a dim reflection of the God who made us all. G.K. Chesterton once said, we're statues of God walking about in a garden. That's abundance of life. Why don't I experience that more often? Why is it only when the fireworks are going off or the recessional of a wedding, why don't we experience that real life more? I identify with John Eldridge who said, I know that it's life I need and it's life I'm looking for, but well-meaning religious people say, oh, of course, God intends life for you, but that's eternal life. Meaning because of the death of Jesus, you can go to heaven when you die. Is that eternal life the same as abundant life? Well, maybe, in a way. But last summer, I, uh, I married Sam and Jenny out on a patio overlooking the lakes. And if all Jesus meant by an abundant life was eternal life after you die, that'd be like Sam handing Jenny the ring and saying, honey, because I've given you this ring, I will take care of you in your retirement. I don't think that's it. I think somehow the abundant life is supposed to be being experienced now. And I think something's gone wrong. We get little flashes, little glimmers of what that life could be. But most of the time, for most of us, life is not abundant. It's, it's something else. It's a, it's a battle. Something's gone wrong with the heart of life because that's what makes life work in all its abundance. A man once read a European fairy tale and said, let's update that. Let's show what life is all about, what makes life life. Sometimes you can tell that by its absence. 
So he developed these great characters. Uh, the first one needed courage, courage to live. The, the second character seemed to have courage, but, but he, he felt like he didn't have a brain, the intelligence to live life. But maybe the saddest of the three was the one who couldn't live life at all because he was frozen in place. And what he needed was a heart. I think many of us are frozen in place. You're not 10 men or 10 women, but your hearts aren't strong. The heart makes everything else happen, and many of us are frozen in place because our hearts are frozen. The Apostle Paul says it in Corinthians. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, on the inside we're being renewed day by day. That first line grabs me by the throat. Therefore, we don't lose heart, but I do lose heart, and so do you. If somebody knew how not to lose heart, I'd want to hear all about it, because we all lose heart every day, and we need wisdom from the God who made that heart to have the kind of heart that makes abundance of life possible. Please turn with me this morning to the book of the Proverbs, chapter 4. Pull out a panel pen or pencil to underline for the next person that reads this. Chapter 4, verse 20, starts out like this. My child, pay attention to what I'm saying. Turn your ear to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them in your heart. Let my words penetrate deep into your heart. By my words, he's talking about the words of Scripture, the very words of God. Back to the text. They are life to those who find them and health to one's own body. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The wisdom of God, guard your heart. Underline verse 23. Your heart is the wellspring of life. 24, keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze in front of you. Give careful thought to the paths your feet walk and be steadfast. Don't turn to the right or left. Keep your feet from evil. The word of the Lord. This passage was used most often as a warning to young noblemen to say that they should guard their hearts probably from sexual temptation all around them at court. The Proverbs were saying, the worst thing you can do is to lose your heart to some woman, to let some man seduce you and break your heart. And in every sense, that's so true. You'll never have abundance of life more than just one minute at a time unless you learn to guard your heart because there's danger to your heart. And guarding your heart is the key to an abundant life. But too often, losing our heart to somebody else is just, it's just the tip of the iceberg. We have to guard our heart because our heart is already fragile. It's, it's broken. Every human heart made this side of Adam and Eve is already broken. It, it gets about 70% of its beats right. You know what you want to do. You know what you're supposed to do. You head that way, but you don't end up there. You end up someplace else. That's what a broken heart does. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying. I know, I know, but there seems to be some rule inside. I want what I don't get, and what I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. 
we all have broken hearts. We all leak. The good is inside of us, but it leaks out, and then we do something wrong, or we're left frozen like that tin man. I am built for an abundance of life, to be a statue of God walking around the garden, but my heart is broken. And so when Jesus says, I have come that you might have life in all its abundance, there's more to the story. You know that verse, I've come that you might have life in all its abundance. It's John chapter 10, verse 10, part B. But without looking, do you know what John 10, 10a is? Right before this talk about abundant life, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come, a contrast, I've come so that you might have life in all its abundance. It might be snatched back from the thief and put back inside you. The reason you need to guard your broken, fragile heart today is because there's a thief whose only purpose is to steal and kill and destroy human hearts. God intends life for you, but that life is opposed by evil. The answer, according to the Proverbs, is that you have to learn to guard your heart. More important than your brain, more significant than your body, is your heart, your will, your soul, the seat of everything. Usually you don't lose that heart in a trauma. Most of it loses it a little bit at a time, day by day. Ezekiel talks about that. He says, I'll take away their stubborn hearts of stone and I'll give them a new, obedient heart. But over time, hearts get hard again and stubborn and tired. Some of you have tired hearts. I'm not talking about your bodies. It's said another way in 2 Kings. King Yehu, it says, was not careful to keep the law of God with all of his heart. And so his heart became weak. He began to worship other gods. We uh, educated Presbyterians need to watch out for this. We, We tend to pick and choose from God's word. Those parts of the law we agree with that resonate with us, we spend all of our time there. But the tough parts where we struggle or don't understand or don't want to agree, we set those parts of the word aside. And that's where the evil one comes in. The result of all that is that Jesus, who again loves the Proverbs, says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. The result in the end of a broken heart is a broken mouth. Day by day, You hardly notice, but over the decades, not the months, the decades, you become a grump. Or over the decades, a worrier. Or over the decades, you've become a critic. That's your spiritual gift. Over the decades, you've become someone who gets to church on Sunday, but nobody would know it by Tuesday afternoon because your heart has broken and leaks. Sometimes it's a tragedy or injustice that brings the heart to a crisis. One of the privileges of being in a church over decades is that you get to see lives change over time. I had the privilege of marrying this uh, young couple. They have a baby now, Michaela, who was all of 18 months old and one of those kids that you see running around here, stumbling in and out. She thinks every one of you are her grandparents. This is her house. Well, late in June, the daycare provider called dad and said, something's gone wrong. And by the time he got there, she was almost dead. 18 months old, she has this massive stroke. Totally uncommon. And she went to Children's Hospital in St. Paul forever. I got there the 
second day, and of course, mom and dad haven't slept all night. I, I prayed, we tried to talk. And being the dad, the dad kept saying, I gotta hold this together. The worst thing for a parent is when they can't fix their child. So I get up to leave. Uh, John said, can I walk with you to the elevator? And he, and he stopped me on the way and he, he said, I need the two-minute answer. We're trying our best. What's the 90-second what's the version I can hold on to? How could God let something like this happen to little Michaela? Not me. I, I, I just don't understand. John was in danger of losing his heart. And literally, I had just seconds to remind him both about the hope of the gospel and the fact that we live in a world at war, an undeclared, unstopping war between good and evil on a broken planet. To guard his heart, John had to remember both the war and the hope that God will never leave us, that he'll hold our hands all the way through the valley. And then John needed to decide which of those he would feed. We prayed again, and I got on the elevator and prayed again for him and the sake of his family, that he wouldn't lose heart. Michaela lived. She's doing great. She's a, she's a grown girl now. In the stroke, she lost her speech, had to learn to walk again. The day I, I left uh, church for the last time, John and his wife gave me a, a picture of, of Michaela pulling herself up to her feet, taking a couple of staggering steps, mom and dad right behind her with their heart in their hands. How do you guard your heart? You take the four-way stress test for heart disease. The first test actually even starts before guard your heart. At the very beginning of chapter four, it says, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let the word of God penetrate deeply into your heart for it brings life to all who find it, healing to the body. We live in a world of unending noise and sounds. What sounds penetrate deepest into your heart? I mean, do you take two pills of God's word every week and then go away or do you let it penetrate deep in? What are you filling your mind with? Since you woke up, you've been listening to the radio, the TV, other voices, what's filled your mind. The authors of the Old Testament said to the parents, take these words of mine and repeat them to your children when you rise and when they sleep, when you go to the house and when you go out to the road, talk about them with one another. When was the last time outside of this building that you exposed yourself to the word that brings life? because I've got to tell you, plenty of other words steal your heart. As you think about your week, how much have you heard about the presence of God, that hope Jesus offers? How much have you read or seen that heals you? What do you hear? As we go back to worship this next autumn, I'm going to urge you again and again to band together with others to study the Word of God, to strengthen your heart whether that's BSF or precepts, women in the word or community Bible study, one of the many men's studies, this is the season to guard your heart. The second test, what you see, comes after you decide to guard your heart. It says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your eyes directly before you give thought to the path for your feet. It's not just sound. We live in a visual culture. I've tried to model that today with all these images I put up on the screen, the, 
imagery, especially powerful, the human heart, for the human heart. Whether that's fireworks that lift the spirits or pornography that pulls our heart to another place or the the sight of violence that stimulates part of our brain or the picture of a dad taking care of his baby. What do you watch? The second stress test for your heart is what do you discipline your eyes to see and not see throughout the day? The third stress test for the human heart is where do you go? Because the proverb says, mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the path. That's what Jesus means when he says there are two paths in life. There's the broad path that everybody takes and it leads right to the cliff. People fall over, destruction. And then there's that narrow path that leads to life. Keep your feet from following evil. Can I, can I just add parenthetically that in, in too many churches that really translates, avoid the bad, do the good. And so you avoid most of the bad except the bad you really want to do. And you do good, but nobody goes on the adventure. Nobody gets on the path that looks like the yellow brick road and sees where it goes out toward that abundance of life. We're supposed to be the most adventurous hearts on the planet, the people who see the least and the lost and the left behind on the side of the road and go over to them. We're supposed to be the ones who really listen, who take a path different from all the other kids in your class. Don't kid yourself that you get on the road when you become an adult. You are on the road right now, and it can either be the greatest adventure with all the pain and joy or it can just be plodding one foot, one homework in front of another. And to all you parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, the road isn't over. Jesus' road doesn't say, sit in this chair the rest of your life. No, this is the God who made the Himalayas and those little dung beetles. This is the God who wants you on the adventure. And that leads to the fourth test, what you say. We not only guard our heart by what we hear and what we see and where we go, it's clear Jesus agrees with the writer of Proverbs that what you say is a test of the heart. Out of the heart, Jesus says, the mouth flows. And again, don't turn this into Sunday School 202. Sunday School teaches us don't use bad words, use your church words. That's not what this is about. Out of the heart, the mouth flows means that we are to bring healing and joy and encouragement where we go and not gossip or slander or trivia. Sometimes I don't think God is so much offended by my speech. I think God is just bored. Really? You want to spend the next half hour talking about that? Really? Think of the language from the time you woke up that you used. Who you talked to? Was anything said beyond the trivial? Not the trivial, the small is important. You have to talk about who gets food and who cleans, but did you get past that with anyone yesterday? Jesus doesn't want philosopher kings, but he wants you to talk about the reality that 10,000 years from now, you're gonna wake up in the morning, and what will you talk about then? Let's start to talk about it now. About 10 years ago, I, I put on my desk at church a little sticky note on the bottom of the computer it says, the lack of encouragement is discouragement. I think I stole it from Andy Stanley. But I try once a day to write a note or pick up the phone and specifically encourage, give courage to another child of God. When's the last time you did that? Yesterday? Can you do it today? 
So, The Wizard of Oz, this story is taken from a European folktale, but the movie only gives a small fraction. In the original story, the wicked witch of the West became jealous of the love that a woodsman who becomes the tin man, the love he has for one of the little munchkin girls. And jealous of that, the wicked witch cursed him so that everything he hit would turn to steel. If he whacked his head, his head would turn to steel. But for a long time, the tin man thought this wasn't a curse. It was great. He needed to raise money to marry the little munchkin girl. He became strong and fierce and more and more accomplished. But finally, the wicked witch from the West had him cut himself in the heart, and his heart turned to steel, and it fell out. They kept working and working and working, but he forgot why he was working, because he had lost his heart. And one day, just like in the movie, he was caught in the rain, and he froze in place. Many of you are in danger of losing your heart or you've had congestive heart failure of the soul. You're only working at small capacity. God wants your heart fully alive. But faith in Jesus is not like the Wizard of Oz. There's no magic here. It's better than that. There is a Savior God who brings the dead back to life and who hands out new hearts. He puts your name on his lips and your heart in his hands. So guard your heart. And today, pray with me. Lord Jesus, these Proverbs were the sayings that you heard growing up as a child. Guard your heart above all else. Your father Joseph probably told you that over and over. Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. You guarded your heart, Lord Jesus, and you taught people how to guard theirs, but then you allowed your heart to be broken so that ours could be made whole again today, this morning. Give our hearts your tests, your stress tests. What we listen to, what we see in this incredible world, where have we gone off the path of life, and what do we say? Jesus, I'm not going to say, guard my lips. I ask you to guard our hearts so that our lips might give life to those around us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.